Are you ready for the word this morning? Do you need to stand, stretch your legs, stand up, wiggle a little bit? Are we okay? All good. Thank you. Let's pray and we'll go. Father, thank you for this day. God, lots been said today around scripture, around transform Cambodia, around the farmers, around uh, giving. God, there's so much. God, we pray you continue to speak to us today, that you'll bring transformation to our lives, that if scripture teaching is for us, God, that you'll challenge us about that and that we will be able to train 10 early next year. Father, as I speak now, anoint me for this task. Give me what I need. Speak clearly to me. Remind me of what I prepared and God, for each one of us, you give us ears open, hearts open to hear from you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Well, friends, there's a picture of Father Bernard Pagano, a 53-year-old Catholic priest. And he's up on the screen because he was accused of being the gentleman bandit as a thief. The story goes like this. In early 1979, in a little town on the east coast of the US, five businesses were robbed by an armed assailant, an armed assailant nicknamed the Gentleman Bandit. And he was called the Gentleman Bandit because he was known to be very polite and apologetic to his victims. When uh, his uh, victims went to the police station, they, they uh, drew up a sketch and they put the sketch out in the media and people came forward to say, I know who that guy is. And they said, it's Father Pagano. Now, Father Pagano had a really good reputation in the community and people came to his aid and, and the uh, lawyers said, this can't be the guy. So, so Pagano's actual lawyers did some research and they did some checking out and it led them to a postman called Roland Closer. And they said, we think it's Roland Closer who did these crimes, but the police didn't listen. Pagano got locked up for these um, business, um, these thefts to these businesses. And Closer, the mailman, felt so bad that the priest had been arrested for his crimes, which was actually true, that he continued to rob businesses intentionally so the police would know it can't be the priest in jail. It has to be someone else. And then the police didn't work that out, so he ended up turning himself in because he felt guilty and shame that a priest was locked up for his crimes. It was a case of mistaken, mistaken identity, a case of mistaken identity. Have you guys ever been in a case of mistaken identity? I'm sure you could tell me stories, and in, and in your life group next week, you can um, talk about your, your mistaken identity um, stories. And I was praying about this on Thursday morning. I was in school for Aidan's Year 7 at Char- um, Sutherland Shire, the orientation Sutherland Shire Christian School. And the deputy principal's raving on about all this stuff. And I was like, awesome, great. I'm just going to pray for a bit. And God, um, I, I just want a, um, a, a story about, um, about um, mistaken identity. I want a story about that. God, I need a story about that. So as, I, as it finished up and I was heading, as I was heading out to school, this uh, couple said to me, um, excuse me, do you know where the toilets are? And I went, um, no, I don't, but there's an office just there and I think there might be toilets in there. Oh, sorry, the lady said to me, sorry, we thought you, you must be one of the teachers here. Mistaken identity. Straight after I prayed, three minutes later, I had a story. Now, the, uh, the uh, closest f- for me to make a fool of myself was, was a time when Michelle asked me to go down to Woolworths and buy baking powder at Woolworths, and I walked into Woolworths, and where's baking powder? Does anyone know what aisle it's in? I didn't know. What, what aisle is it? The baking. I didn't know where it was. So I'm walking around. I, uh, I uh, know where the chocolate is. Chocolate. 
I know where the ice cream and the milk and the eggs, I can do that. I'm looking around and I said, I need help. So I need to find someone in a green polo shirt. Green polo shirt. So I find someone in a green polo shirt and I said, excuse me, um, do you know where the baking powder is? And they said, um, I don't work here, but it's in aisle and time with the aisle. Because I had a person with a green polo shirt. Mistaken identity. Friends, I, I want to take you um, back to John chapter 5, the message I preached, I think it was three weeks ago, around the man who was lame by the pool. Because at this story, we, we uh, looked at, do you want to get well? And, and, and we looked at a message around that. But this story is also a case of mistaken identity, where this lame man mistakes Jesus for just some ordinary guy coming to wash clothes, a tourist, someone who could give him money, and therefore he didn't ask for the miracle that he wanted. This man in John 5 is a lame man. He's a beggar. He sits there every day. He knows the people around him. And people come to wash and to maybe get healed as the water stirred up at this pool. And we're told that Jesus walks up to him and says, do you want to get well? And the man goes on to say, well, I... I would like to, but every time, I, every time the water is stirred, I try to get in the pool, but someone gets in ahead of me. And then Jesus says, pick up your mat and walk. And that's what the man does. Je- that man thought Jesus was just some other person who was going to give him some money or someone who was there to wash his clothes or a tourist wanted to look at the pool. Or otherwise, he would have said, yes, Jesus, I want to get well. Let's have a read this text. I just gave you the summary. Here it is. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which is an Aramaic, which means, is called Bethesda, which means house of mercy, and which is surrounded by five colored colonnades, covered colonnades. Verse 3, here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. And I put this in italics. If you have an NIV, this next verse is not in the actual text. It's in the bottom because I shared with you three weeks ago when we talked about this, they were unsure if this was, was as reliable as the rest of the text that they put at the bottom. Here it is anyway. And they, I added it in and they waited for the, they paralyzed and they waited for the moving of the waters. Verse four, from time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. Verse five, one who had been there had been an invalid for 38 years. I turned 41 last week. 38 years he was sitting by that pool. Wow. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Now, if the man knew who Jesus is, he would have said, yes, absolutely. But he didn't know who Jesus was. So he responds this way in verse 7. So the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. When I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And once the man was cured, he noticed something in his body had changed. Therefore, he picked up his mat and he walked. Verse 10, verse 9b. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. The, the, the religious leaders put in all these extra rules around the Sabbath and lots of other things because God said it was a day of rest. So they had all these questions. Well, how much rest? How much can I do? And these religious leaders put in all these extra rules about how far you could carry your mat, crazy stuff like that. They just took it way too far than what God expected. 
And this man replied, the lame man who had been healed, he said, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was. For Jesus had simply had slipped away into the crowd that was there. This man didn't know who Jesus was and therefore he didn't ask for a miracle. This man who was a lame man who encountered Jesus didn't know that he was speaking to the creator of the universe. He didn't know he was speaking to the first and the last, the Alpha, the Omega, the one who sustains the world with his hands and his breath. He didn't know he was speaking to, and, in, and this is John chapter 6. In John chapter 1, we're told that John the Baptist declares Jesus to be the Messiah. This lame man wouldn't, wouldn't have known that. At Jesus' baptism in John chapter 1, the father says, This is my son, whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. That's what the father said. He wouldn't have known about that. He just thought Jesus was some other guy. In John 2, we're told Jesus turned water into wine and cleared the temple courts. In John 3, it's declared about Jesus, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus, the one who gives eternal life. The man didn't know that. In John 4, we're told that he goes to the Samaritan woman and Jesus tells her everything she had ever done. And she, that woman goes to the town, that whole town puts their trust in Jesus. In John chapter 4, we're told that Jesus heals an official son who is close to death. All this stuff happened in John 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, and now we're at 6. And this guy doesn't know who he's speaking to. He doesn't know who this Jesus is and what he's done, and yet he encounters him. And Jesus says to him, do you want to get well? And he says, I do want to get well, but every time the water is stirred, someone else gets in ahead of me. He had no idea of who he was speaking to. Imagine if he did. Imagine if he did know who he was speaking to. He heard these stories of this Jesus who had, where the Samaritan town had gone to follow him. The one John the Baptist talked about as the Messiah. The one who had the voice, this is my son whom I'm loved with him, I'm well pleased. Imagine. If, it, if he knew it was the guy who healed the, the um, who was it, the, the, the official son who was close to death. Imagine if he knew that and then Jesus walked up to him and says, do you want to get well? I reckon his response would have been totally different. He would have been firstly shocked and, and overwhelmed by who was in front of him. Then I reckon hope would have risen up within him. Maybe today's my day that I get my healing. It's been 38 years. Maybe today's my day. He is here. He's the healer. He can do it for me. Imagine what he's thinking in that moment. And, when, and then when Jesus said, do you want to get well? I reckon that, would have, that man would have said, yes, Lord. Yes, Jesus. Yes, I do. But this man didn't know who Jesus was and therefore didn't ask for a miracle. So this is where the rubber hits the road for us this morning. Here's the question. I wonder how similar we are to this lame man. I wonder how similar we are to this lame man. Friends, we all have struggles in life. We have all different levels of brokenness. Some of us are more broken than others, but friends, we're all broken and all messed up. We all have some level of relationship difficulty. We regularly have hard choices to make in life. 
We can have health issues at times in our life. We can have financial tension. We can have difficulty and struggle in life, just like this lame man. And just like this lame man in our struggles, and just like this lame man had an encounter with Jesus, friends, that encounter is available for each one of us. And not just an encounter where we meet him, but an encounter where he moves powerfully in our lives. This lame man didn't know who he was and didn't ask for a miracle. And I wonder if we know who he is and we ask him for a miracle in our lives. Friends, maybe you're here this morning and you don't ask Jesus for a miracle. You don't ask Jesus for the breakthrough. You don't ask Jesus to change your circumstance for a few reasons. Let me give you some suggestions. Maybe you've not asked Jesus to move in your life because he's the first one. You are new to this Jesus thing. Maybe you're here today for the very first time at church and we're talking about Jesus and who he is and what he's done and it's brand new to you. That makes sense that you don't ask him for a miracle because you simply just don't know who he is. Or maybe you've forgotten who he is. You once knew, but time's gone on, circumstance has gone on and you've forgotten who Jesus is. Or maybe you found answers in other places. There's struggle, there's difficulty, and you found ways to get Band-Aids solutions. And those things that you turn to may work for some time, but it's only Band-Aid covering up the pain, covering up the hurt. And it'll work for a short term, but it won't really deal with the issue. Or maybe you feel like you've been let down by God. You ask God for a miracle. You ask for someone to be healed. You ask God to make a change, and it didn't, and it didn't work out the way that you wanted. God didn't act like you thought he should act and would act. And that's created disappointment in you. And because God didn't there, you, have, you don't have faith for God to do it here and the next time. But let me say this, if, if that's where you're at, do not allow your experiences to dictate your theology, meaning. Do not allow the, your experiences of life to determine who God is. Allow the scriptures to determine who God is and choose to believe that even if, It hasn't gone as you would hope. We don't see the big picture God does. We don't see what's around the corner. We don't see the circumstances. We don't see God sees. And if you're in disappointment, my encouragement to you is to keep trusting. Get back on the horse. Keep trusting God again. Or maybe you're here this morning, and this is the one I want to focus on today. Maybe you do not ask God for the miracle because there's a disconnect between your head and your heart. There's a disconnect between your head and your heart. You believe all this stuff about Jesus in here. You know this stuff, this intellectual stuff to be true. But it's not, but it's not true in here. Friends, it's the difference between living an intellectual, uh, the difference between an intellectual faith in Jesus and a living faith in Jesus. An intellectual faith in Jesus says, You believe all the stuff in your head. You know that he is a healer. You know that he can move in your situation. You know that he can do breakthrough in people's lives. But when it comes to crunch time, when it comes to your difficulty and your struggle, because it's simply here and hasn't dropped to here, you don't ask for the breakthrough in your life. However, if you have a living faith in Jesus, a daily faith where you know and you trust God, when the breakthrough comes, well, he is your first port of call. 
He's the one that you go to because you believe in him. When the struggle comes, when the enemy comes against you, you stand firm because you know God is for you. When you have that financial difficulty in your life, you put your trust in that scripture that says God is able to meet all your needs according to his riches and glory. When there is um, relationship difficulty, you put your trust in God and you pray and you ask him to move in that situation. Friends, that is the difference between an intellectual faith and a living faith. When I was a teenager, I was in a Sunday school class and I've shared this story before. I'm sorry, I've only got a certain number of stories, so you have to keep hearing the same stories over and over again. When I was in my, my, my Sunday school class as a teenager, um, what we were taught was head knowledge, intellectual stuff. And for some of it, I'm really thankful because it gave me a good understanding of the scriptures. We talked about Hezekiah's tunnel. We talked about the kings. We talked about the judges. We talked about creation. We talked about the stuff we're going to hear tonight at 6 o'clock about how God made the world in seven 24-hour periods. That's what I believe. That's what I believe the scripture says. And the guy's going to talk about it tonight that you can believe it. I was taught all this stuff about who God is and what you can believe about him. I was taught all that stuff. But from, from, from my memory, my recollection, now this may not be true. This is my recollection, my memory of this. There was no application of that truth. There wasn't a, when you're getting bullied at school, you can trust God to be with you and he's never going to leave you. There was never, if you're sick, hey, doctors are great and we want to celebrate medicine, but ask God for the healing. He can do the breakthrough. There wasn't any, whatever the next situation is, there was no application. It was all head. It didn't, it didn't go to heart. There was, no, there was no encouragement to live by faith, to trust God for the next thing. There was none of that. It was all head knowledge. So I went about my teenage years knowing this stuff about God, but then when situations and difficulties come, I said, well, what do I need to do about this? Didn't include God because he was the God of the intellectual, not the God of my heart where I put my trust in him. There's a big difference between having an intellectual belief in God and a heart, a living out faith. You know, the scripture is full of people who have a lived out faith. Let's have a break. Turn to the person next to you. Who is someone in the scriptures that lived out their faith? It wasn't just head knowledge for them, but they actually lived it out. 30 seconds, go for it. All righty, yell out your answers. What do you got? Yell them out. Who are the people that live by faith? Ross. Moses did. Moses had this calling by God to go to the leader of the known world, like today if you going to Donald Trump, that'd be scary, wouldn't it? Going to Donald Trump, the Pharaoh at the time, and you've got two million slaves in your country, all your workforce, God says, let them go. Do you think that was scary? But he lived out his faith and trusted God and believed God, and then God called him to lead two million people. Wow. CEO Sam has 280 staff. Imagine two million. That would be fully, fully, fully. That's scary. That's fully, fully scary. Moses lived by faith. Who else? Nehemiah built the wall under heaps of opposition. Job did. After all that mess that happened with his family and he lost everything, he kept his trust in God. Yes, Caleb. Caleb and Joshua, very good. The 12 spies. Ten of the spies said, we can't go. But two of them went, wow, it's scary. But let's trust God for this. Nikki. Ruth, what did she do? I can't remember. Is that Boaz? Boaz. She did. Who 
Wonderful. That's Ruth. Ask Nikki about Ruth. That's true. Read the book of Ruth. Yes, Amanda. Noah. He, yes. For like 150 years, he built a boat. And everyone said, Noah, you are stupid. It's never rained before. And then he puts his trust in God, does what God says, and it rains. Someone else on this side of the room. This is the holy side. This one. Abraham. At the age of 70, God, 70 or 80, whatever, 70, God speaks to him and says, leave your nation. 70 years old, ladies and gentlemen. Leave where you're living. Take your family to a brand new nation. I'm going to give you a land. That's living out faith. Nikki. Esther. Oh, wow, Esther. She was a Jew and she was married to the king. And a guy wanted to wipe out all the Jews, wanted to wipe them all out. And Esther goes to the king and the king got to put the scepter out. Without the scepter, she was dead. She lived out faith. Who else? King David. Wow. David's mighty men. He went battle, got the... And knocked over James. James, where are you this morning? You going out? Where's, you went out with the young people. James, is, they see the James up here on guitar? He's about this tall. I'm like David and he's Goliath up there. He's massive. Someone else. One more. Kerry. Joseph. Wow. Sold as a slave. Chucked in prison. Accused negatively. All this stuff. Then put second in charge of Egypt. And at the end it says he continued to put his trust in God. Peter. Peter. What did he do? Hey, Jesus, I see you walking on the water. Do you reckon I can do that too? That's not an intellectual faith. That's a full-on faith. And he stayed up there. Last one, Nikki. Someone else. Deborah, give me all the hard ones. I don't know. Deborah was a leader in Israel. Deborah, she was a judge. She led Israel, conquered nations. All these people, friends. All these people. Elijah on Mount Carmel. Stephen in Acts 7, the first martyr. He proclaimed Jesus even in the light of being killed. You know, it's easy in the light of being killed to have an intellectual faith. I know this stuff is true, but right now I'm not going to believe it. But Stephen stood true to the end. Acts chapter 7. He was killed. Stone, first martyr for Jesus because of what he believed. Living faith in Jesus. You know what? Satan has an intellectual faith in Jesus. Satan knows that Jesus died for the world. Satan knows that Jesus rose from the dead. Satan knows there is eternal life in Jesus. But he ain't have a living faith in it. It's an intellectual faith. Now that's scary. Do you have an intellectual faith in Jesus or a living faith in Jesus? Boom. Boom. Do you have an intellectual faith or a living faith? Today we need to make some changes. Today we need to make some choices. When I shared this message from John chapter 5, I talked about three steps to freedom. I said the first step, if you're going to get free from your struggles, you need to get real about what it is. The second thing, you need to ask yourself, do I want to change? And the third thing is you've got to take action. And I spoke about taking action three ways. You go to yourself and say, sometimes you just, you just got to make a change. I'm just not going, to, I'm not going to buy chocolate at the shops. And that's a good thing to change, yeah? I'm going to support the farmer. So I'm going to deliberately come tonight and give, I'm going to buy some hot meals off the Thomas's and they're going to give the money to the food, the farmers, and to help Gloucester in Gloucester. That's a, that's a self-choice, and that's good. Number two, we can get others to help us. God has put people around us, accountability, life groups, mentors. Tony said to me this morning, I haven't got a mentor. Would someone like to mentor Tony? Love to hear about that. Talk to Ken about that. Love to support that. And finally, number three, I talked about the God encounter. And the, and, the, and the reason I go back to these is because it's good to remind, of, remind you like we did with God, money, and me. Remind you of what you already learned because you're more likely to do the stuff that you know. The reason I brought this up is because out of these A, B, and C, which one do you lean on the most? 
Out of these A, B, and C of point three of take action, which one do you lean on the most? Do you lean on yourself at the extent of two and three, of, of, of the extent of B and C? Or do, you leave, or do you lean on yourself and others first, and then if you really need it, you'll go to God? Where, these are rhetorical questions. You know, friends, where do you go? It's easy for us to go to one and two, yourself, others. It's so easy to go to them, A and B. But God wants us to go to him. God wants us to encounter him. God wants us to run to him like kids who with our dad, he's a good, good father. He wants us to go to him and say, God, I'm in this area, I need your help. God, I'm struggling here, I've got disappointment, I've got hurt. And allow him to do the miracle in your life. Allow him to do it. And when he does it, he's so much better. And you've got a testimony of what God has done and you have more faith in him. As you include him, you go further with him. Like Daniel said, as you step out and you do scripture, you're not only blessing others, but you're blessed. And your faith rises as you bless and encourage others. You know, we ourselves are so limited in our knowledge, our abilities, and our resource. Others are limited in their knowledge, resource, and abilities. But God, friends, is unlimited in his knowledge, in his resource, and his abilities. Why did we take so long to go to him? Let's be a church. Let's be each as individuals, Dr. Nate, Teddy, Gay, Mrs. Crawford, Martin, Colleen. Let's be individuals who pursue God for the God encounter, for the difficulty when we need to make a hard decision, when we don't know what's next. Pursue him and see what he does. Why are you here this morning? Maybe this, this uh, Jesus thing is new to you. Maybe you've forgotten who Jesus is. Maybe you've found answers in other places. Maybe you felt let down by God. Maybe you have a disconnect between your head and your heart. Friends, that can change today as you make a choice to trust him. As you run after him, as the prayer team comes forward and you go, today is my day. I'm going to make a change. I'm not going to do it my way. I'm going to go God's way. Yes, he wants us to make choices. Yes, he wants people around us to support us. But let's go to him and ask him for the breakthrough and see what he does. No matter where you're at, friends, no matter what circumstance, last slide, Jesus is the answer. He has answers for every single one of your needs. You struggle with your identity. You struggle with who am I? Jesus tells you who you are. The Bible says, he says, you are chosen, not forsaken. You know who I say I am. Where that song goes. The Bible's clear of who you are. You're loved by him. If you're concerned about your value, John 3.16, for God so loved you, you, that God gave his most precious son. You are highly valued. And when you run to him, he will show you that and you'll believe that and you'll be a transformed person. If you're struggling with your finances, friends, the scripture is clear that he will supply your needs according to his riches with glory as you honor him with your finance. You need strength. His Holy Spirit power, what Ken talked about last week, his spirit is there to empower us. If you need healing in Matthew 8, it says clearly that by his stripes, we are healed by Jesus' death. There is healing for us. If you're struggling with guilt and shame, if you're walking around remembering what you've done in the past, friends, through Jesus' death, he washes away that. 
And you can stand guilt-free, shame-free. You can stand forgiven, knowing that you're okay because of what Christ has done for you. If you're struggling with hope for a future, what is my future like? Well, friends, the scripture is clear about eternity. In 1 Peter 1, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in him. No, that's a different scripture. He says he's given us new birth, that's it, into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Friends, if you're a Christian, your, your, your future is eternity. Your hope is eternity with Jesus forever. That's what your future looks like. If you're struggling for a reason to live today, in Colossians 1, it says all things were made by him and for him. You are made to love God and love people. You are made for him. That is the purpose for your life. If you feel alone, if you feel alone, he's the one that promises never to leave you nor forsake you. If you're struggling with anxiety, cast all your burdens onto him and he will give you peace, friends. He is everything you need. He is the answer. He is the answer. If you're here this morning and you never committed your life to Jesus, the Bible says that you're far from God. The Bible says that there's sin that separates you from God. You've heard about who Jesus is. Today can be your day. And if you're here this morning and you want to commit your life to Jesus, this Jesus who I've spoken about, who is so marvelous and glorious, I want to give you that opportunity right now. So with every head bowed and eye closed, if you're here this morning and you want to commit your life to Jesus, you want him to be Lord of your life, pray this prayer with me. Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he died for me and rose from the dead. God, I'm sorry for my wrongdoing. Please forgive me. I choose to follow Jesus all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, that's the first step in the journey. You just started a journey that's lifelong, and Jesus, and that doesn't mean everything's fixed. You still have your stuff and your baggage, and Jesus wants to go on a journey with you of releasing you from disappointment and hurt and shame like an onion with the layers. God takes one layer off at a time and he deals with us over many, many years. Doesn't he, Mr. X? He's still dealing with Mr. X after all these years. Still dealing with us. But if you're a Christian here this morning, if you're a Christian here this morning, what are the areas in your life where you got the intellectual faith and not the living faith?